Well, let's talk about uh, 1 Corinthians today, chapter 1, verse 26. This is what I call part two of a sermon that I never got to finish last week because it was written too too long and uh, is spilled over into this week a little bit too. So uh, we are on the second approach to this verse, verse 26. We are setting the table for our study of what's in this toolbox that I have right here in front of me. Those who listen on our internet uh, uh, recordings, they don't get to see the fact there's an old toolbox sitting next to me here, and there are tools in there that uh, uh, are going to be used to help understand verses 27 through verse number 31. And those are the tools God uses. And we need to understand first something uh, significant in the, in the, the tools God uses. Verse number 26 says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Consider your calling. It's a command, and so we're going to do that. Again today, we're going to look at uh, our calling and consider it. Consider it well before we discuss what God uses. So join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you have done for us. We are humbled just to think that uh, you think about us, that you know us so well. You know everything about us and you love us still. We thank you, Lord. Thank you that uh, you have put us into your service. And all the things that we're going to learn today and review from last week as well remind us of how great you are. And we ask, Lord, that you might challenge us again today from your word. Help us to consider our calling. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I showed you before, the section that uh, we are here in Corinthians Paul's talking to a group of people that uh, like to do things on their own strength and by their own wisdom. And he needs to uh, uh, show them that uh, service in the church is not by our strength. And it's not by our wisdom. It is God's strength. And it's God's wisdom. Because it's God's church, isn't it? And it's, it's just not possible that we should bring human abilities and human logic to a thing that's divinely designed. And that's what he needs to contend with with our Corinthian friends as he really spends a whole book and even the second book. And we don't have records of the, the book number three and book number four, but I'm pretty sure that if we had those, it would still go along a similar line that these people had uh, a problem with putting themselves as the forefront now, of course, we don't have such a thing, do we? We don't elevate what man can do, do we? We don't put our wisdom before the wisdom of God, do we? Well, they did. And so we're going to look at them. And, he, and Paul kind of illustrates it for them here in these handful of verses that we have before us. And he says, just start with this. Consider your calling. And he starts to give them important things to focus upon there's something beautiful in just the way it starts. Because in verse 27 and on, he starts to talk about variety. 
the different things that God can use. And, and really, they're alarming in comparison to what the world thinks is usable. He uses things that the world says are not worth hanging on to. They're disposable. As a matter of fact, they should have been thrown away a long time ago. He doesn't uh, approach the, this way. But as, he, as he's talking through this passage, he's going to talk about the variety. But this one thing in verse number 26 we have in common our calling. And that's why we're going to focus on it together as we do. I told you last week there are six items that governs uh, this examination we're going through. Six things that we have to consider as we start our study of the tools. Uh, six things we have in common. And we only managed to get through two of them last week. So I'm hoping to get through all of them today. And uh, just briefly mention the first two for some of you to catch up with us here. Um, the first thing we have to consider in the calling is the very fact that we've been called. That's important. We have been called. And, and the word here is invited. Invited. If the Corinthians were to, ask, or to, to answer the question, who put you in the church? Their first first inclination might have been, well, we did. We chose that place. We, we started to attend there or whatever. You know how some people are that way. Uh, considering their own calling, it was by their own doing, perhaps. They might have thought that way. But Paul starts immediately when he talks about the calling of God. God has chosen. That's the key to the next couple of verses. God has chosen. We don't invite ourselves. God invites us. He's brought us into this relationship, and, and that means He wants you. <laughs> I like that. For His invitation to mean He wants you. Just by His grace, we saw this last week, by His grace and His love for us as sinners, by His grace He calls us, He invites us into this permanent relationship with Himself. By His grace and His invitation, He has placed us into the church. He secures for us an eternal home for us to dwell with Him. That's by His grace, isn't it? All these things He has done. He has invited us and, and even given us the privilege of service. told you how, how remarkable that is. The God of the universe, the one who has put everything together perfectly in His wisdom and by His power, shown His power in the things about us, shown His, his, uh, his supreme action in everything, declares what He's going to do, sets apart to do it, prepares all the works that need to be accomplished, unites it all perfectly in His wisdom, and says, and you're part of it. That's stunning, isn't it? Even though he knows us. And he knows how, how we make our mistakes. He knows our ignorance. He knows our limitations. He says, come be a part of my project. I just love that phrase. The thought of it. That the God of the universe and all that he can do wants us to be a part of it. That's the first thing he reminds them of. God has invited you to this service. God has invited you to this ministry. God has invited you. He's called you. Don't ever forget that. The privilege of serving Him. 
is because God has asked us to join him in this. I, I, I just love that picture. And it works contrary to those who resist. Do we ever resist his calling? Do you ever say, Lord, I just feel inadequate. I can't do that. Do we ever say, Lord, uh, uh, I'm going to make so many mistakes. I'm going to mess this up. Some people even use that in evangelism, don't they? Lord, if you let me speak to this guy, he'll never be saved. I'm sure I'm going to mess it up for eternity. Maybe, maybe his children won't even be saved because of what I say to this guy. Have you ever feared that you're going to mess up the whole thing? A lot of people do. Lord, you can't put me into that kind of service. There's so many more capable than me. He says, now consider your calling, brother. Who called you? Do you think he knows you? Huh? Does he know who you are? Does he know what you're prone to do? Does he know the kind of things you just might be capable of? Who put you in the toolbox? God did. That's the first thing we mentioned last week. Consider your calling. Who invited you to this? Second thing we also looked at, who designed you the way you are? Who designed you the way you are? Don't ever forget the wisdom of God in this. Who designed you the way you are? We look behind ourselves and we learn a lot from the past, I know. But sometimes when we look into the future and we consider ourselves, which a lot of people do, we say, Lord, I don't know about this this design you've had. (laughs) I've looked in the mirror lately. This is what you've made? This is the tool you designed? You know what the Corinthians said when they looked in the mirror? Hey, that's a pretty nice looking tool. They were pretty high on themselves. Many of them. They thought, well, we're pretty wise. Of course God chose us. That was their mentality. You'd find that all the way through this letter. But as we saw in Psalm 104 last week, O Lord, you... How many are your works in wisdom? You made them all. All that he has done, he has made by his wisdom, right? Do we believe that? Do we? That God made everything by his wisdom? You know, you're hesitant. I know why. Because I'm about to say, are you something he made? Oh, he didn't use wisdom when he made me. Is that what you're thinking? I hope not. God's wisdom is in all. It says all. We consider the creation of the world by the wisdom of God. We're amazed to see how it all works together. You study it through and you're just amazed by creation. Uh, Is the church so abnormal that it's put together in pieces and bits and and leftovers and parts and and divisions and denominations and and, a hundred different directions? Is the church something that's apart from God's wisdom? Really? Do we think that way? Because there's different leaders and different styles and, and God's just trying to catch up. Right? I don't think so. Do you realize this? Even when we talk about 
a church like the Corinthians, I like pointing to them because it's easier to blame, you know, all the problems on people like that. They're easier to approach. They've got a ton of mess in their church. In the end, in Ephesians 5, it says, He will present to himself the church in all her glory, perfect, spotless, holy, without blame. Can God do that? Can he? He will. Even the kind of church we see? Even the kind of church we see. In his wisdom, he has designed it. Even the kind of person I am? Even the kind of person I am. It's his wisdom. He's designed it so. Ephesians 2. Let's go over there. Put your bookmark here. We started this last time and and we got close to the end of our time, so we just focused on it for a few minutes. We're going to finish it right now. Ephesians 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. If this is not a verse you have memorized, I would highly recommend you do it, especially if you wrestle with the fact that I don't feel usable, Lord. I don't feel qualified. I don't feel adequate. You may have a whole list of reasons why you don't think you belong in ministry of any kind. And it says in chapter 2, verse 10 in Ephesians, we are his workmanship. We are his, Some you have the word masterpiece. Does God ever create things that are inferior? Does He always create a masterpiece when He creates? Does He always show His workmanship in what He has made? Don't ask me to come over and cut boards for you and make them straight. I can't do it. Give me the best tools on earth and I could still make it crooked. Don't hire me, Sid. You'd hate it. You'd hate it. I've tried that over the years. I've tried all I can do. I love wood filler. It makes up for so much, on those corners especially. God doesn't need filler to cover mistakes. We are His workmanship. Go ahead, call it inadequate now. Go ahead. Say that I I can't do it. Go ahead. And then tell me who created you the way you are. Go on. Try it. We are his workmanship. We're fabricated in Christ Jesus. We're created. We're, We're made. As the verse says here, created in Christ Jesus. His design is intentional. Really, it truly is. It's by his wisdom. And yet we sometimes, as ungrateful tools, uh, argue against his design. We weren't part of the planning program. We're a little upset that he showed us this as as the answer, and we thought we could do better than that. Uh, And yet, we don't know, do we? We don't really know how perfectly he designed us for that task he has in, in store for you and me. But he did. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we complain about our limitations. Perhaps it's a physical thing. 
You know, we, we say, I just, I just don't have the, the ability to, I don't have the strength to do that. I don't have the, uh, whatever it is. Whatever it is. We, physically, we say, I just can't do it. I've learned a lot of lessons over the years in this department. Because being younger and such, I always thought, at least my strength would get me through it. Right? Some of you thought that way too. And I've learned lessons just watching people who have no strength do things. It's amazing that they were able to do so. One of the things that that uh, still just in my mind, and probably because it's in my heart as well, is uh, what Kay was able to do as she was going through chemo. One of the some of the things you don't probably realize as much as you know I certainly would, but she did not teach Bible studies. We were in ministry for a long time. She didn't teach Bible studies. She struggled with Bible studies. Didn't want to do Bible studies. Uh, didn't feel called to do Bible studies. Then we come here and in the midst of her chemo, she says, I want to teach a Bible study. And I, I honestly, here I am, good old pastor, tried to talk her out of it. I said, you, you just can't, you don't have the endurance to hang through that. That's tough. Some of you ladies would see that. You'd see... I'd bring her in just before Bible study and get her in her chair and get all her oxygen around her and everything else. And, and she would teach that class. And then when she was over, I'd come and scoop her up and take her back out and take her home and put her to bed. She was on hospice most of that time. And I thought, wow, she wanted to do that. She felt the Lord had called her to teach. I thought it was beneficial. It taught me a hundred lessons about what God can do. <laughs> Even when we're at our weakest point. Some of you know that personally. Sometimes you say, but, but I can't do it. It's an intellectual thing. And I'm not in that department. You know, so we, we think of our limitations there. Some even say economically, I just can't serve because I can't afford it. You ever been there? Pastors know that story a little bit well. We go through things in, in ministry at times where we say, boy, I'd like to help, but I just can't do it. I, financially, I wish I was able to do this and do this and do this. And, and um, again, I, I just personal experiences. There were so many times that Kay and I were going on a trip and, and we would have to try drive 12 hours or so with the kids, the young and all that. And, and uh, so we we're planning our vacation. And I said, we're just going to drive straight through. All right, we can't stop. There's no way to stop. She says, we need to stop. I'm going to pray that the Lord gives us motel money. You know what happened usually the Sunday before we left? Somebody walked up and handed me motel money. I wasn't even asking for it. And I'm standing there with this in my hand, and she looks at me with that look. Like, see, I've been praying about that one. Sometimes we have nothing. But who do we know that has everything? You see where our limitations usually are? It's not in money. It's not in strength. It's not in wisdom. That's not our limitations. It's on who are we looking at? That's what limits us. This is what the Lord says. I have designed all this. Do you believe in His design? Do you believe He's behind it all? Who are you looking at? Very important when it comes to ministry. It's not about what we can do. It just can't be done if it's based on us. Our limitations do keep us back because we blame things. We, we pout. We, I know it. We, we, we gripe, we get depressed at times. 
But have you considered who God is? Have you considered that God made you? He designed you specifically the way you are. He designed you. That's something to consider, isn't it? That's all part of consider your calling. That's all part of that picture. Don't ever let limitations lead you to not trust Him. We are His workmanship, it says. Created in Christ Jesus. We are His workmanship. God made you what you are. God placed you where you are. We are His workmanship. That should be considered. It's God's wisdom. On to number three. Now that, believe it or not, that was meant to be review. Still chapter 2 in Ephesians, verse number 10. Finish the verse. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. For good works, which God prepared. You see those? Those are key words right there. For, you are his workmanship, for, that means there's a purpose, right? Good works. He's already prepared them, what they are. That shows again his wisdom. So, the purpose is not accidental. You have a purpose to be in this box. You have a purpose in there. He's not just collecting tools, you see. He's not a tool collector. He's a tool user. So he's chosen you for a purpose. One of, one of the uh, fascinating stories in the Old Testament has to do with Esther. Some of you know the story of Esther. At least you, you can tell the, the key parts of the story. We've got a, a Jewish young lady growing up in a foreign land because her people, the Jews, had been captured by the Babylonians some 70 years before. And now she's under the... the uh, a uh, kingdom of a Persian king. His capital is over in Susa. It's not even in Babylon territory. And, and she might have been living among all the, the uh, exiles of the Jews. And uh, one day the king uh, had a proclamation sent forth. He was going to put on a beauty contest. He was going to pick a new queen. And she was herded up with the rest of them and taken over for the pageant and, and chosen to be queen of a pagan king. Her captive chose her to be a queen. That's just amazing right there, isn't it? What a change uh, of, of situation from being a slave, a servant of some kind to being the, the wife of a king and yet he was a pagan king at that. And then over the course of a, a short period of time it would seem, maybe a longer, I'm not sure, but um, she gets uh, word of a threat. A threat that is going to eliminate, to exterminate her entire family. All of her relatives, all the Jews, were to be eliminated, exterminated on one day. She heard of that threat, and her job was to, by her cousin who came to her, Mordecai, he says, now you go tell the king about this. His words were these. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. <laughs> he came up with a purpose, didn't he? Do you know what? We might know this, but we don't really know. But maybe God has picked you and purposely placed you here for this reason. 
that you might save these people. Who knows? Well, they didn't know yet. But later they could look back on it and say, yeah, that's exactly what God had done. If you don't know the rest of the story, you've got to read it yourself. But Romans chapter 8, there's a verse that we hang on to so dearly. We know that God causes all things, you know where I'm going, right? To work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Purpose is part of that verse. Now, we use that in all kinds of different ways. Primarily in in Romans 8, he's talking about theological things. He's talking about our justification. He's talking about our sanctification. He's talking about our glorification. And God did indeed work all that perfectly, didn't he? But what about the other things in life too? Is God only interested in theology? Or is he interested in every aspect of your life? Doesn't he work all things together? All things? All things? Together for good? Now, we only bring that up when we're having a bad day. Why? Because we're trying to motivate ourselves to get through this one more time, right? Flat tire. Oh, God works all things together for good. Uh, Something wrong in the kitchen. One of the kids are sick. It messed up the whole schedule for the day. I know something about schedules and kids. I've, I've watched that over the week. But we sometimes step back and we say, All right, who's running the show? And then we remind ourselves that such a verse like this. God causes all things to work together. I understand the value of that in, in that, that point. If he can cause all the pieces to come to, together correctly, do you think he might also be able to put you in that puzzle? On purpose? And it still works? See, he has a purpose for you. I believe that with all my heart. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll show you something else these Corinthians needed to learn. 2 Corinthians 5, the first handful of verses, five of them actually. Paul says this. Now you're going you're gonna to say, what, what's this have to do with your message, Pastor? But let me just start reading and I'll explain. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 5, 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that that which is mortal might be swallowed up by life. Now... He who prepared us for this very purpose is God. What a verse to throw at the end of such a thought. The simple picture is this. He goes into details about our human body, doesn't he? It's weak. We groan in it. Yes, we know that. It's perishable. It's going to be replaced, right? It's going to be replaced with a glorified body. It's going to be a wonderful thing. He goes into all the details about that. And then he suddenly just simply proclaims that God has prepared it so. It's part of the purpose. It's that very purpose. It is his purpose that you exist right now in these physical bodies. Right? It's just as much his purpose 
that you will exist someday in your heavenly body. That's all part of his purpose. He has prepared us for this very purpose. So, when you consider your calling, don't forget, God did this on purpose. The way he designed you, the way he placed you, the fact that he puts you in this box is on purpose. What does God do that isn't without a purpose? You know it. He doesn't just create just random things and say, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but there it is. He didn't do that with you either. Well, there she is. I don't know what to do with her, but I created her. He always does with a purpose. And I, I love that about our God. So, why do we complain? Here's one of the things we tend to do. Lord, you haven't shown me your purpose yet. Don't you love that phrase? I'm just going to sit here until I know my purpose. Oh, that's wonderful. We could sit there a long time. Must he show us his purpose? Must he? Is he required to tell us why he created us the way he is and why he put it... Scripture says in so many different places, the same picture. God is the potter. What are we? The clay. You know the story. Must the potter explain himself to the clay? That's the big question. It's raised in every passage it comes up in. Must the potter explain himself to the clay? You see, it's not required that the clay knows its purpose. But it is required that the clay knows it's potter. That's where we are. We know him. Do we trust him? Whatever the purpose may be. Esther didn't know, but she had to trust. Right? We don't know. But we do know the kind of God we serve. If he chose us, if he invited us, if he designed us, there's a purpose behind it. Can we trust him in that? Even if we don't know what it is? That's all part of the picture here. Some people say, I don't know what the purpose is. I'm just going to do it my own way. That's a Corinthian. We're called to trust Him. It's a matter of trust. Consider your calling, folks, when you consider this. You've been chosen and placed into His service. You've been designed the way He wanted you to be. He has put you there on purpose. Those three things are essential. Consider your calling. Now let's move on to four, real quickly. Let's add our attitude. Uh Uh-oh. Let's not go down this road, huh? Is it possible we could think too highly of ourselves? I mean, really, is it possible? Corinthians did that. Is it possible we could think too little of ourselves? Yeah. Corinthians did that too, by the way. In... Chapter 12, verse number 21. I like this this interesting group. They were in the, the congregation. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. The eye says to the hand, I don't need you. Well, wow. That really goes over super in church ministry. I don't need you. And then on the other hand, same chapter, verse number 15 the foot says, I'm not a hand. I'm not, I'm not important. I'm not part of this body. That goes over well, too. Do you know how much gets done with either of these groups running the show? Nothing. 
And that's exactly what the Corinthians were. Either thought too highly of themselves or thought just terrible of themselves and said, I don't need to serve, I'm nobody. That's an attitude. Similar to Philippians chapter 2. You've seen this passage too. Let me uh, scan through it with you. Philippians 2, the first five verses. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit. Now, is there? Let's ask the question. Is there encouragement in Christ? Yeah. Is there consolation of love? Yes. Is there fellowship of the Spirit? Yes. So you know what his answer is going to be when he asks these kind of questions. If there is, then do this. So since all these things are true, then we must do the rest. If there's affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. You can see he's gone beyond just the physical things and the things we think. He's gone down into the heart, hasn't he? He's starting to address attitudes. He says, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also on the interest of others, and have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Does attitude make a difference? A ton of difference. A ton of difference. When Paul's writing to these Corinthians, I keep bringing them up because they're easier to, to target in this. In chapter 4 of the first book, verse number 5, he says this one little phrase. I'll read it to you. Do not go on passing judgment on before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Whoa! When we talk about the Lord's judgment, do we ever consider the fact that He not only sees what you do, He knows why you did what you did. He knows the motives as well. That gets down to an attitude, doesn't it? He knows that about us. He knows that about us. It's a funny thing to ask a tool to check its motives. Just an everyday tool. I mean, you, you, you pick up a hammer, you start beating a nail with it. Does a hammer resist because it doesn't feel like hitting nails? Say, no, hammer does what I tell it to do. Uh, I see a muddy hole, I drop something down in it. I just happen to have my hammer with me with a claw and I'm going to dig down in the mud with this hammer and pull it out. Does the hammer say, hey, not today? No, the hammer just goes right down into the mud because I shoved it down there. You wouldn't want a hammer that resists you, argues with you, fights back, says, I don't want to. If you are working on a window and it just won't stay up, you take the hammer and prop it up in the corner sometimes, don't you, to hold up the window. Hammer doesn't complain. It's funny. We're vessels of the Lord. But sometimes these attitudes, attitudes start to show a little bit. Here's a, here's a story Jesus once asked. He says, what do you think? A man has two sons. He came into the first and said, Son, go to work in the vineyard today. And his son answered, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. 
The man came to his second son and said, Son, go into work in my vineyard today. And his son said, I will. But he never went. Which of these did the will of the father? Which one did the will of the father? The first one, who said, I will not, but then went? Or the one who said, I will, but never went? The crowd says, well, the first one. Of course, the first one, because he actually did something. Jesus raised that question. (laughs) I think it's a good one every tool should ask. Who did the will of the Father? Who did the will of the Father? Can our attitudes be set right beside such a question? Who did the will of the Father? Have you ever considered how our attitude affects service? Consider your calling, brethren. That's what he says. Consider your calling. And check your attitude. This calling that you're a part of. Who do you serve? That's part of the next question. Who do you serve? Item number five in considering your calling. Who do you serve? You say, I serve Christ, right? That's a good spiritual answer. I serve Christ. Yeah? Why are you in the toolbox? I serve Christ. Are you there by His choosing? Yes. There by His design? Yes. There on purpose? Yes. Have the right attitude? Sure I do. Who are you serving? Christ. Good. What's He going to do with you? Why would the Master use a tool on Himself? What's His tool for? For a project he's on. Who do you serve? Sometimes we forget. It's more than just Christ as the answer. Yes, it's Christ. But he's the one using the tool. What is the tool for? I want to give you a good picture of this. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Verse number 7. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he has also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Go on down just a little bit uh, further. Verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. What are those? They're tools God uses. What's their purpose? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So what is, who do you serve? You serve the church. 
You serve the body of Christ. That's the project he's on, right? That's why you're designed the way you are. That's the purpose you have. You're the toolbox to serve Christ in his work in the church. You see, if we wanted to say, I just serve Christ, I just, I just serve Christ, we can sit out on an island and do it all by ourselves. But he didn't design it that way, did he? He put us in a body to be used to help one another grow. That's your purpose. That's the design. That's what it all comes down to. He's put us together. Because the service, the tools, they're not self-serving. They're not meant to be. They don't work on themselves. My gifts aren't for me. Do you know that? They're for you. Your gifts aren't for you. They're for me and for the rest of us to share in. We do this together. I wasn't called a minister just so I could minister to myself. That'd be silly. I wasn't placed in the toolbox for my own good. He chose me for the sake of the church. See, hammers are chosen to pound on hammers? No. To pound on nails. Wrenches don't wrench wrenches. So I try saying that a lot. They're to go after bolts and nuts. Screwdrivers don't twist screwdrivers. They work on screws. Consider your calling. You weren't called for yourself for your own good. You're called for the church's good. That we may serve and build it up. That's the project the Lord is on. So, who do you serve? Who do you serve? For whose sake are you serving? This is, this is what we have to consider in our calling. We have to. Time's up. I only did five. Part three next week. Uh, you're still wondering what's in that toolbox. I'm sorry, you've got to wait. Patience is good for us all anyway. All right, let's talk to our Lord about what we know from this morning. Heavenly Father, you have really done an amazing thing. We want to understand it. We want to see this from your perspective. <laughs> so we understand that service is not our invention. It's not based on our strength, our wisdom. It's not by our design. It's not for our purpose. It's not to satisfy ourselves. We need to be refocused here, Lord. We need our understanding to be changed so that we understand why you chose us and why you put us in this box. That we might be the tool you want us to be for the sake of this church. To fulfill that purpose. To match that design. That we may fully understand our calling. Lord, please. As you are so merciful and patient with us. Please help us to grasp this. That we might serve you better. More than anything. We want to be found to be a faithful servant. One that you would say well done to. Challenge us thoroughly. Challenge our hearts. Challenge our attitudes, if that be our need. And we thank you, Lord, for your constant work in our life. You haven't given up on us, and you never will. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.